How you guys doing this morning? All right, good, good. Um, hey, just want to throw one thing out at you guys before we really get going this morning, and that is uh, kind of what AJ was talking about just a few minutes ago. Our Fuse Student Ministries, which is our student few, or student ministries, I guess I said that, Fuse Student Ministries, um, it meets every uh, Sunday night, so tonight, every Sunday night at 5.30, and uh, we are back up and running. Uh, they started last week, after all, you know, we haven't had been able to do it for, for months because of COVID. And, um, and we as a church, we've only been here for a few months, right? And a few of those months, within the few months, we haven't even been able to do church because of the COVID-19 deal. And, um, and even last, night, last week, starting back up on Father's Day, which isn't ideal, but AJ was itching to get going, um, we had over 50 students here. And so um, for a new church, you know, probably, you know, maybe the the biggest youth group in the county. You know, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, but probably pretty close. So just want to say, uh, get your students here, all right? It's so important that they grow in their relationship with God. It boggles my mind how we as parents, um, you know, a lot of times we place our kids and their relationship with God kind of on the back burner, right? And we put, the things that we put in front are, well, work and school and sports and, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, that is, you know, that is, that's not good for our kids. And it's, um, and it really is important that we put uh, God first and, and church first. And so just want to encourage you, get them here tonight. It's fun. They get to grow in their relationship with God while having fun. All right. And so, uh, and so it's really, really good for them to be here. On the, on the uh, next, Along with that, I just want to say it is really, really good for your students to, uh, to be on our summer trips. This year, um, AJ's taken, he's doing a great job. He's taken um, the middle schoolers down to camp at the end of July, and then next week, he's taking the high schoolers down to West Virginia where they're going to go rafting and caving and high rope stuff and all just a whole bunch of stuff, which is going to be awesome. And uh, just want to encourage you, if you know of a student in grades 6 through 10, your grandkids, your kids, your nephew, niece, whoever it might be, uh, get them signed up for a trip, all right? It's so important. It's so, I can't say this enough, it is so good for them to go, all right? Not only will they grow in their relationships with their peers, which is so important at that age, all right, as a teenager, but they'll grow in a relationship with a um, mature spiritual uh, leader and mentor here at our church. And not only that, but the, most importantly, they'll be growing in their relationship with God. And so again, I just want to encourage you, get them signed up. AJ will work something out. If money's an issue, he'll work with you. Um, and uh, and we'll, get that, we'll get that going. But it's just so, so good um, for students to go on a summer trip. And I got, uh, working with students for many, many, many years, I have, you know, countless examples that I can point to and say, see, here, here, here. Actually, some of them were on stage, um, you, you know, singing just now. And so um, just want to say it is just so important and I can't state that enough. All right? Okay. You guys are like, okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, hey, we are in our series called Enough of the Bad News. And I don't know if you've noticed... But everywhere you turn is bad news, all right? It's like you can't get away from bad news. It's just bad news, bad news, bad news. You can't turn on the TV without seeing bad news. You can't go to work without hearing about the bad news or talking about the bad news. It's just, it's just everywhere. But we as Christians, all right, while I think it's good and I see value in being aware of what's going on, all right, and standing up for what's right, but we as Christians, 
all right? Our focus is never supposed to be the bad news, right? And in a sense, that should, that should be like kind of relieving, like, okay, that's good. Our focus as Christians should always be the good news. And God has given us so much good news for us that we have, that we have, that we can hold on to. Uh, the first week when we started this series, we started talking about the ultimate good news, and that is that God of the universe who created, you know, the planets and the solar systems and, you know, the galaxies, he created everything just by using words like um, earth, earth's there. Okay, that's sweet. You know, that's how God did it. That God who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, came down to earth in the form of a man, was born in the dirt in a barn, lived a perfect life, and then we killed him. We put him to death. Not just any sort of death. We we put him to death on a cross. Excruciatingly, like terrible, terrible, horrible death. But the Bible says that in that death, that uh, as he died on that cross, that God was the, he was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he paid for everything that we've all, you know, that we've ever done wrong in our lives, which, you know, some of us were like, well, that's not that many. No, it's millions and millions of things. You know, we're, we're just, we're all prone to evil. All right, we are all, in, in reality, what the Bible tells us is that we are all terrible, terrible, terrible people. And so we don't get saved, we don't get to God by, wow, I hope, you know, this is how we all think. Wow, I hope my, my good things, um, you know, I hope I do enough good things because that will outweigh weigh my bad things and then I'll be good. That's not how it works. It's completely opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says there's nothing you can do. You can't do enough good. The only thing you could do is you go to God and you surrender your life to him, believing that Jesus took um, care of your sins. He took care of the penalty for everything you've ever done wrong on that cross as the perfect sacrifice. Why did he do it? He did it because he loved you. That's what it is. It's surrendering your life to him. And so if you haven't done that, let me just encourage you and just tell you, hey, there's no better day to do that than today. Like take five minutes out of this afternoon, go on a walk or spend... You know, go in your room, lock the door, all right, get away from the kids for five minutes, and just talk to God. Give your life over to him. Know that he, that Jesus is the only way. It's not, well, all the religions kind of make their way. No, that's not true. It's not doing a bunch of good stuff. It's only through Jesus. Do that today. Give your life over to him today. There's no better day to do that than today. It's just such good news. It's the ultimate good news. Right? The next week, we talked about how God also says that he can take our bad things that we have in our life, and he can actually turn them for our good. He can turn it so that they can be, that they're actually good for us. And then last week, we talked about how, how God, we have the privilege to view God as our Father. Actually, it's more than that. It's more intimate than that. It's, we have the privilege to view God as our dad, the perfect dad. That's the type of relationship that God wants with us. And so this morning, what I want to do, kind of keeping on with this theme, and next week we're actually going to end this series. We're going to talk about the freedom that we have in, in God, um, in Christ. But, uh, but this morning, what I want to do is we're going to do something a little bit different than the other campuses. Okay, we're, gonna, we're going rogue here in Tiffin. We're, doing, we're talking about something else. Um, and it's a subject that I really, really wanted to do because for me personally in my life, all right, this good news that we're going to be looking at, it's very practical. At least it is for me. 
right? Maybe it won't be for anybody else, but, uh, but I'm sharing it anyway. Um, but this, this good news, it's something that I can hold on to, and if I hold on to it and I like cling to it, I do way better. All right, just in general, in my Christian walk, uh, in, my, in my faith, in my walk with God, I do so much better if I just cling on to this good news. Um, I remember a few years ago, Kate and I, we started dating. And uh, actually, it was probably, it was like more than, it was like over, over 10 years ago, which is freaky how that happened so fast. Okay, man, all right. And uh, so we started dating. We, we met each other in college, started dating in college. And uh, we eventually got engaged after a couple of years, I think. And, uh, and uh, we did get engaged. I just don't remember the time, okay? I see you guys snickering in there. And, uh, and so the summer that we were engaged, I got invited to go with her family up to the lake in Wisconsin to their lake house that her, that her family has. And so um, I'm like, sweet, okay, the, the, you know, the boyfriend, I don't really know them all that well, and uh, it's like extended family and stuff, it's, but, you know, it'd be fun, I guess. And so we go up there, and it's, it's actually, we've been up there many times now, and it's, it's one of those places where there's like nothing to do, but it's nice to have nothing to do. You ever have that? It's just like relaxing, like, oh, what are you doing? I don't know. And so we, like, make up little games. Like, I bet I could throw this golf ball at that tree. and You know, just stuff like that. Like, it's like you're a kid again. All right? It's kind of nice. And, um, and so at this lake, the, one of the days we were there, they have a boat, and they, get, they go water skiing and stuff. And, and so we're all going down to the, to the lake to, to go water skiing. And um, her, Kate's got a, she's got a bunch of, like, cousins and, and brothers. We're all, we're all about the, you know, same age. And so they've grown up going water skiing. And so they're out there, I'm watching them. And I'm thinking, I've never been water skiing before, but I'm thinking, how hard could it be? You just stand there, right? Like, it's not a big deal. Just stand there, hold on, you're good. Well, her, her cousins and her brothers, they start, they start water skiing. And they're, like, jump, doing little jumps on the wake. And they're doing stuff where I'm like, well, I don't think I could do that. And then I start watching them, and they're doing, they're doing stuff, and I'm, I'm, like, starting to get worried. Like, I was looking forward to this, and now I'm, like, kind of dreading it because it's like, dude, I might look like an idiot here. Like, I'm the guy who can't, you know, the new guy who can't do anything. And then Kate goes, and she's water skiing. And then all of a sudden, she loses a ski, and she's water skiing on one foot, you know, bouncing around there. And I'm like, what? I didn't know she could do that. Like, in my house, let me just throw this out there, in my house... Between, you know, I'm the one, I, I'm the best person athletically. Like, Kate should never be able to, in my opinion, I know this sounds wrong and some of you guys will hate me for it, but I'm just saying, there's something about being a man where it's like, my wife should not be able to outperform me in anything athletically. You know what I mean? And here she's bouncing on, you know, she's like one skiing it. And then it's my turn. And again, never gone before, didn't really know what to do. They're like, tips up, you know, all you have to do is sit back. Well, it's not that easy when it's your first time. And so when you're water skiing, they have to pull you up really quick. And so that can either be good or bad. And for me, the first couple times were bad. And so you like pull you up and you face plant right in the water. After I did that in front of her family a couple times, I finally got up. So I'm already embarrassed. I'm already, it's already awkward. I'm, you know, and, uh, and I'm going and I'm just like, and the boat's going a lot faster than, I, than it looked like when you're standing on the dock. You know, it says, oh, there it goes. You know, this is like, whew. And I'm thinking to myself, as I'm holding on to this rope, I'm just like, don't let go of the rope, right? Like, all I got to do is like, I don't want to go down the wig. I don't want to go down the, I just want to stay behind this boat and don't let 
go. So that's all I'm thinking is don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. And, you know, I guess keep my feet together or whatever. And I'm like, because if I let go, I'm going to face plant here into the water. And the fact, you know, the rate I'm going, it looks like it will hurt. I don't know if it's going to hurt or not, but it looks like it's going to hurt. But above all that, it's going to be super embarrassing for everybody. I got the crowd of people on the dock watching me. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just awkward. That is kind of how I view this good news that we're going to be talking about this morning. If we can hold on to it, right, hold tight, cling to it, kind of like I was clinging to the, to the ski rope, all right, you won't face plant, all right? Usually, usually you do pretty good. It's when you let go. For me in my life, when I let go of this good news, and I'm not thinking about it, it's not, not something that I'm, that I'm doing. When I let go of it, that's when I've seen in my life where I face plant. It's funny because after I got off, you know, I, I made it. I didn't wipe out. I didn't do anything cool either. But uh, after I got off, Kate, I remember her saying, you didn't do anything out there. I'm like, it's my first time. Come on. So she was pretty proud of herself, I think, showing me up. But, uh, but yeah, this good news really has to do with the fact that because we're all terrible sinners, and some of you guys are like, what? I'm not, I'm not a terrible. Yeah, you are. Okay, we all are. I am, you are, we're all, we're all terrible sinners. That's what the Bible tells us. But because we're all terrible sinners, we all have to deal with temptation. We all have to deal with temptation. All right, and it's real. I mean, how many of you, by the show of hands, have ever been tempted to do something before? Okay, we all have. All right, temptation. If, if you're honest with yourself, all right, we all struggle with temptation every day, maybe every hour of every day, okay? It's, it's a part of our lives. Like, it's, it's something. It's, it's real, and it's a struggle that we struggle with every day. And for me personally, this is what I've noticed, I guess, is that the stronger I get in my relationship with God, the more I struggle, Sounds weird, right? Sounds like the opposite of what we would think. And that's because of this. Because when I've been far from God in my life, it's not that sin isn't there or that temptation's not there. and I'm not, I'm not struggling with anything. It's just that I don't resist as much, nearly as much. Now, some of you, you're sitting here and you're going, you know, like, like oh, well, temptation, I don't know, it's not really a Big deal for me. I don't really struggle with that or deal with that. And I would say that's probably because your relationship with God is so bad, you don't resist either. Right? Of course, there's not going to be a struggle if you're not putting up a fight. It's not going to be there. See, as our relationship with God grows stronger, naturally, we should desire to resist, resist temptation more and more because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is actually within us and the Holy Spirit, Spirit is working on us. But on the flip side, the Bible tells us that we have an enemy who is working against us. See, part of the problem, I think, for some of us, we don't believe we have an enemy. Or maybe we just don't believe in the enemy. We don't believe that there's, there's, a, there's, there's a force out there or whatever trying to, trying to tempt us. See, some of you right now, you're going, whoa, 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 are you telling me that you believe in Satan, the devil, you know, you're telling me that you believe in, in an enemy like that, like, you know, pitchfork, he's got the horns and red spandex. I don't know why he's always wearing red spandex, but he is. And no, I don't believe that's what Satan looks like. 
But the Bible makes it super clear that Satan is real and that he is our enemy and that he is against us. Actually, in the New Testament alone, the Bible mentions Satan over 250 times. Now, that's almost, one, you know, if you were to spread all those times out, you, that's almost one every chapter. Right? Satan is there. Satan is real. And so what I would say is this, it's actually naive to not believe in Satan. Like, you think the Holocaust was just Hitler? I think you're naive. If you think slavery was just racism and economics, and you don't think Satan was anything behind that, I think you're naive. If you think the primary factor of your addiction to, I don't know what it could be, pornography or alcohol or drugs or maybe it's something as simple as Facebook or whatever it might be for you, if you think your addiction or the primary factor of your addiction is just lack of self-control, I think you're naive. If you think all the distractions from work and family that keeps you from being involved in the church is only, you know, is, is really just all results from a demanding schedule and a fast-moving culture that we're all a part of, I think you're naive. If you think your trouble in marriage, you know, your marriage trouble is, it's just, you know, two personalities that you're just not getting to, you know, working like you used to work, the chemistry's not there, it's just not working out. You think that's just the reason? I think you're naive. If you think the bitterness that's creeping into your heart is just because, you know, someone doesn't treat you the way that you believe you should be treated, or just misunder people misunderstand you, or whatever it might be, I would say you're naive. See, there's an enemy whose only goal is to take you down. The Bible describes Satan as a prowling lion, all right, prowling around looking for someone to devour. He's on the hunt for us. Satan, he's always trying to trick us. He's always trying to tempt us. He's always trying to divide us. And he's really, really, really good at it. And he's real. And he's coming for you. And he's coming for me. Whether or not you recognize it or believe it, or not. And really, this is the reason. Knowing all of this, this is the reason why this verse that we're going to be looking at this morning is one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible. And for me, personally, this is the reason why this verse, why I can hold on to it, why I cling to it as I live my life. Because it is really, really, really good news when it comes to the lifelong battle of temptation that every single one of us in here deal with. And this is what it, what it says. This is Paul who's writing this. Paul writes, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. No temptation has, has come upon you except for what is common to humanity. See, Paul here, he begins not necessarily with the good news that I want to stress this morning, not necessarily with a promise. He just starts kind of like with a fact. He's just like, hey, before we get all into this, before we finish the rest of the verse, let me just, let me just tell you this. All right, whatever you're tempted with, whatever you struggle with, whatever issue you're going through, it's like, oh yeah, these five things in my life, they just bring me down. Whatever it might be, he's like, it ain't new. It's not new. Right? Satan hasn't changed his strategy at all. He's saying whatever temptations you're dealing with, all right, you're not different from, they're not different from those from which God's people of really every era all right, have experienced. 
It's all the same. And what I've seen is really what Paul says here, it really flies in the face of the most used excuse that I hear um, personally as a pastor that I hear from someone who's usually choosing to do the wrong thing. See, I, I talk to a lot of people and, you know, there's, this world is so messed up and people's lives are so messed up that it's, you know, it's just, it, there's just issues all the time. And uh, we're all in the same boat. We, we all deal with issues. But when I talk to people, the people who I see that are, that are choosing to do wrong, and I see this a lot, usually, almost 100% of the time, Right? especially if they know the Bible, especially if they know what God wants them to do, usually their excuse is, well, my situation is different. I know what God says. I know what he's saying. I know what he, he would want someone else to do. I know, you know, all the, you know all this truth that God gives us, but my situation is different. No, you don't understand. My circumstance is unique. God doesn't want me to live like this. God doesn't want me to have to deal with this. And so I'm going to go do it this way. Because God's word doesn't apply to my specific situation. It doesn't apply to my unique circumstance. Paul takes this excuse that all of us probably use to a certain extent. Paul takes this, this excuse and he throws it out the window. He's just like, let me just take care of this real quick. I'm throwing this out. He's saying whatever you're going through, whatever temptation it might possibly be, he's just saying it's common. It's common. Don't think you're the only one. Don't think you're the first one to ever had to, ever had to deal with this before. He's saying it is very common. It's common to man. Many people have had to go through that. See, some of you guys, you're a little critical and you're, you're, like, you're like thinkers, right? You're thinking, well, you know, he's saying it's common to man. But I know my situation with this, you know, there's nobody who has, you know, who has had this exact situation happen in their life. And I would say, sure, the exact technical details that you're, you know, that you're thinking about of your circumstance or your situation might be technically different than what somebody else has gone through. But the root issue, the root temptation here, Paul's like, it's the same. It's like, it's the same. He's saying you can't argue with it. It's just fact. It's just how it is. See, even though this is not a promise that he's, that he's throwing out there, and, and, and I, maybe, I guess you could probably argue that it is a promise, but even though it's not the good news that I want to look at necessarily, this does make me feel better. All right, just as I live my life. Because there's just something about it to me where it's like, I don't know, it gives me a sense of hope where it just reminds me that, hey, I'm not alone in this. Like there's other people that I know that are, that are dealing with this and, and I'm not the first one to go through it. I don't know, it just makes me feel good. I mean, think about it. Even Jesus was tempted. Do you guys remember that? Remember how that all went? Remember Jesus? He started his public ministry. He's about 30 years old. He, um, he, goes down, he goes to John the Baptist who's baptizing in the Jordan River and Jesus is like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to get baptized. Remember John the Baptist even pushes back. He's like, no way, I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And, they, and Jesus is like, you know, Stop. Yeah, you're going to baptize me. And so all that happens is he gets baptized, and then what happens? An audible voice from heaven. Remember how this goes? An audible voice from heaven says, this is my, my voice got deeper. This is my beloved son, you know, with whom I am well pleased. I don't know. Maybe it would sound like this, you know. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I mean, think about it. Talk about a spiritual high, Right? 
Like Jesus, he's walking up out of the water, and all of a sudden, out of the sky, right, a loud, audible voice. There's nothing there, but a loud, audible voice says, This is my son, whom I love, whom I am well pleased with. Right? It's like God's up in heaven, and he's like, Yes, I like that. This pleases me. Jesus, you got it going on. You're doing great. And then what happens? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then, by the way, then. Uh, meaning right after. This isn't like a couple weeks after or, you know, a few days later. It was immediately. It was then, right after this happens, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Have you ever read that before and been like, wait, what? Okay, let me get this, let me get this straight, right? Uh, isn't this kind of weird? God is saying, hey, great job, Jesus. I love you so much. You know, I'm very, very pleased with you. And then he leads Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus goes. See, if I were Jesus, this is probably why I'm not Jesus. If I were Jesus, I would have some questions. I'd be like, "Uh, my hand's up. I got a question, God, wherever you are at. I hear, you know. I'd be like, whoa, 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 God. Um, Where are we going? We're going to the wilderness. And, and what are we going to do there exactly? Or you're going to be there all alone. You're going to be tempted by the devil. Okay. Um, God, didn't you just say that, uh, that you love me? Like, like, you just told everybody that you love me. Why, why, where, where are we going again? Well, we're going to the wilderness. You just told everybody that you love me. I, I do love you. And we're going to the wilderness. And, and you're going to be there. And you're going to be there all alone. You're going to be tempted by the devil. Wait, wait. Jesus, didn't you, or God, didn't you just say that, that you were pleased with me? Like, did I do something wrong? Or what's going on here? You know, wh- wh- why, why are we doing this? No, I, I am very pleased with you. I do love you. And now we're going to the wilderness. We're going to be all alone. You're going to be tempted by the devil. See, we hear stuff like this. Some of us, I think we, we, uh, we get the idea you know, we look at this and, like, first of all, it doesn't make any sense, which is why, you know, I love the Bible so much. Because God, we got to remember, it doesn't do life, doesn't do the things that we would do. It doesn't do life our way. Right? See, sometimes we come up with the idea that when we have temptation or when we have a struggle in our life, that it's like some sort of punishment for us. It's like God getting back at us. And that is not the case at all. See, temptation, it's not a punishment. It's not God trying to poke you or jab you. That's not what's happening. Temptation is the result of living in a fallen world where we have sin on every side. See, not even Jesus was exempt from this being man. By the way, this also reminds us that temptation in and of itself is not wrong. It's not sin. See, I've talked to people where it's like, They walk around with like guilt and shame because they're tempted in certain ways. You don't have to do that. All right, the Bible's promising us that we're gonna, yeah, we will be tempted, but we don't have to have guilt. We don't have to have shame because of the temptation necessarily. So, what exactly happens here? Next verse. He says, After he, meaning Jesus, had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? Sometimes I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, why did they feel the need to tell us that? Like, the most obvious verse in the Bible, he hadn't eaten for 40 days, so Jesus was hungry. It says, then the tempter approached him. Tempter meaning, it almost, the Greek word almost means like prodder, the poker, the tester. 
Notice that then the tempter approached him. See, Satan waits till Jesus was at his, his weakest physically and probably mentally. How many of you ever find it a little bit easier to, uh, to have a bad attitude when you're, when you're hungry? Has that ever happened? All right. Yeah. Okay. Some, yeah, I see some of you guys like, you lift your hand higher. You're really bad. You're edging them. Yeah, it's almost like, it's just interesting to me. As I'm thinking through this as a, you know, rationally, you know, I'm like, it's almost like Jesus is standing there. Jesus, he, he decided to fast for 40 days. He hasn't had food for 40 days or 40 nights. It's almost like Jesus is like, hey, come on, Satan. Give me your best shot. I don't want any excuses when you fail. He's, saying, he's like, come on, give me your best shot. And that is when Satan goes, or Adam all right, he begins to tempt Jesus when Jesus is at his physically, his, his weakest, and mentally his weakest. And we see the author in Hebrews says this. He says, for we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. So we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus gets it. He knows he's been there. But one who has been tempted in every way. Not just some ways, not just this, not just that. In every way. As we are. But the difference is, he did it without sin. See, Jesus, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Like, he knows. He's been there. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. He's like us in that sense, in that he's been tempted in every way. But the difference between us and Jesus is Jesus, he successfully resisted temptation. Where we usually fail. See, nobody knew this better than Paul. Paul, who's writing us, who's telling us the, the good news that we're looking at. All right, Paul knew, knew this really well. He actually describes kind of the, the, like the war that's going on within him, like, the, like the, the battle. He says this in Romans 7. He says, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but instead I... I practice the evil that I don't want to do. He's like, because of temptation, and Paul, remember, Paul's like the best Christian maybe to have ever have lived. I mean, if, there, if we had a ranking, Paul might be like number one. Okay, here's Paul. He's saying, he's saying because of temptation, I like, I do the things I don't want to do, and I try not to do them, but I end up doing it anyway. And then, and then the things that I do want to do, like the good things, I end up not doing them, because all because of temptation. He's like, there's this war going on inside of me, and this struggle, it's like a, it's like a wrestling match. It all comes because of temptation. But we can rest in the fact, or just remember, I guess, that this temptation is common. It's common. We're not alone in it. Even Jesus went through it. And that's what makes this news so great. Back to 1 Corinthians. He says, First he says, but God is faithful. Now, what ways is God faithful? How is he faithful? All right, well, you know, regarding temptation, you know, what's going on here? He actually gives us two, two ways. He says, the first, he says, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Think about that. Whenever we're faced with temptation, whenever we're faced with doing wrong, whatever that might be for you in, in your life, you know, whatever that is, God promises us, he says, hey, I've given you the strength to overcome. 
He says, you don't have to give in. It's basically like God telling us this morning, he's saying, hey, I know your limits. Like, I know what you can do. I know you so well, and I care about you so much. I know how much you can take. And I promise, I won't let the enemy tempt you beyond what you can handle. Like, like I'm limiting him in that capacity. It's just great news. But not only that, he adds, he says, in the next part, he says, but with the temptation, he will also, God will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. See, not only does God promise to keep us from being tempted, you know, more beyond, you know, what we can handle, but he always promises, or he promises to always provide a way out. It's like God saying, hey, wherever you're at on the freeway, wherever you're at, you know, you know on the highway, he's like, I got, I'll, I'll get you an exit ramp. I'll provide that for you. I mean, that's such great news. I mean, such great news because we're all at war on the inside. We're all dealing with temptation, and temptation is so difficult. And for me, this is such great news just to know these promises and know this news that in my life, you know, I need to constantly remind myself that, that one, you know, God is never going to, I can handle any temptation that God allows, and he will always give me a way out. In fact, it's, so, it's like so good that it's almost like bad news because then I'm like, oh, then I have no excuse to ever sin in my entire life, you know? See, some of us, and I think what helps, what I've noticed, again, this is like personal, you know, it's not, this part isn't necessarily from the Bible, but, but what I've seen is like, if I just pause, like, when I'm being tempted to do whatever it might be, you know, tempted to have a bad attitude, tempted to snap at somebody, tempted to, you know, whatever, something as simple as that. Sometimes it just helps if I just pause. Like, step out for one second and just be like, okay. And look for the way out. Usually, what I've noticed is the way out that God provides is usually obvious. It's not like he hides it. Right? It's usually right there in front of my face. See, most of us, when we're tempted to sin, I think a lot of times, and I'm in this camp too, a lot of times we just ignore the obvious way out. Because right? temptation is tempting. Right? It, it, it looks good to us. In fact, a lot of times what we do is we just give in a little bit. And actually James talks about this, but I didn't want to get into it because it's good. Too many, you know, too many verses. It just gets complicated. But James talks about this in his book. You should go back. You should go read it. He talks about how temptation works in our life. And, uh, and it's almost like, you know, like we give in just a little bit and we open the door. Right? Sometimes I'll be um, at home and, uh, and it'll be like after dinner, lunch, or breakfast. <laughs> One of those. All of them sometimes. And I'll be like, I need something sweet. You know what it is? You know, you know, you know how that is? And so I'll go, I'll, I'll start looking for like some chocolate chips is usually the easiest thing. And I don't feel as guilty if I have like a few chocolate chips than if I ate like six cookies. You know what I mean? Or a piece of cake or pie or whatever it might be. So I'll go get some chocolate chips. I'm like, it has to like satisfy, you know, the sweet tooth or whatever. And, um, and sometimes they're hard to find. I think Kate moves them on purpose. I'm not 100% sure, but sometimes they're in the fridge. Sometimes they're in this cabinet. They're in this cabinet. Sometimes they're, you know, it's just like... So it's kind of like a hunt. But, uh, but so I go, I'll find the chocolate chip, you know, bag, and I'll, and I'll just pop a few in. You know, not that big of a deal, right? It's not like super unhealthy for you. Some of you guys are like, yeah, it is. Yeah, a couple chocolate chips is not, all right? 
But then I'll go walk away. Five minutes later, I'm like, I could go for some more. You know, just, just some little, you know, it's this big. You know, not a big deal. So I'll go, I'll dump the bag, I'll get a few more. This time I'll dump like a handful because I don't want to have to come back every five minutes. So I'm like, I'll just have this handful and I'll go walk and I'll do what I'm doing while eating. You know, but then it's like I want some more and I want some more and I want some more. And then it's like I'm craving these chocolate chips. And push comes to shove, it's like at the end, it's like the whole bag's gone. And then Kate's not happy with me. You know, it all comes from just trying a little taste. That's why I like a car salesman. Right? What, what do they want you to do? They want you to test drive a car. Because they know, and, you know, studies have proven that if you have a taste of what it's like to have that car and to drive that car, you are much more likely to buy that car. See, while these things aren't wrong, obviously it's not wrong to have chocolate chips. <laughs> Thank goodness. Obviously it's not wrong to, uh, to test drive a car. But temptation, it works the same way. See, it's like we give in just a little and we think to ourselves, we're like, we're like well, you know, one won't hurt. Or doing this just once is not going to be a big deal. Or just thinking about this, no, it's not going to hurt anybody. Or, you know, just, just a little. And then we do it. And then temptation comes again and again more frequently. And then we start sinning more and more and more. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's why I consider these promises such good news. So as we walk outside these doors today, here in just a couple minutes, we walk into a world, just know that we walk into a world full of temptation. It's on every side. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. I want you to remember the fact that you have something to hold on to, kind of like a ski rope. You have something to hold on to. You got something to cling to, and that's God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And God always promises a way out. He makes it possible to have a way out. He provides it for us. See, just like Jesus, we have the ability to win. Like we have the ability to beat temptation. We have the ability, the ability to be tempted and to successfully overcome, just like he did. Man, that's good news. Let's pray. God, we, um, we recognize that, man, it's so easy to mess up. It's so easy to do wrong. It's so easy to sin. Like we are prone to sin. It's just who we are as sinners. But God, you made it so we don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to be. We don't have to do wrong. In fact, when we're tempted, you promise us to, that we always have the strength to overcome the temptation that really enters our life. And, and even more than that, God, you give us a way out. You don't hide that from us. God, we thank you for that. And Lord, we, we ask really the bottom line that we will all grow in our relationship with you because that is the most important thing or should be the most important thing in our entire life, Lord. And we thank you for loving us and saving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.